0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Basti Cruel Dubai. Well, we may be right in the middle of the jump season here in Great Britain, but international racing has always been an integral part of what we try and do on this programme. And the days are getting a little longer, and our thoughts will turn to the best international racing very shortly. And, indeed, on Wednesday this week at Claridge's in London, there will be a glittering ceremony to crown the world's best racehorse and the world's best race. It is a, a ceremony sponsored by Longines. It's one that's going from strength to strength. And to that end, I'm delighted to be joined in the Luck on Sunday studio, not only by Debbie Capitis, co-owner of the Mighty Winx, who's been a great friend of the show and has, has phoned in many times after a whole slew of Winx's, uh, the 33 victories, but also Jim Galliano, who is the uh, uh, president and chief operating officer of the Jockey club in the united states and is also the vice chairman of the international federation of horse racing authorities welcome to you both yeah. and thank you very much for coming in it's great to have a sort of international flavor to the program in, in, in midwinter and and to get the sort of exotic flavor of winks into the studio debbie thanks for coming in
1: oh thank you for inviting me oh, it's it's wonderful um, how our beautiful mare is received everywhere
0: and she really has not only transcended her own country, but but transcended the sport in general. It, it must give you so much pleasure and satisfaction.
1: Oh, absolutely! Uh, it's just phenomenal what she's doing. You know, she's she loves racing, enjoys what she's doing, and does it at such a level. But people follow her. People have taken it to their hearts, and that's. Wonderful for us as the owners. Peter and Richard and I, we're the fortunate ones that lucked out in 2013 when we purchased her at Magic Million Sales. But um, she's brought everyone else along for this wonderful magic carpet ride.
0: Just take me back to those Magic Million Sales and just tell us <laughs> how, it, how it all started and who, who picked her and why.
1: Um, well, we do the sales similar every year. Yeah. So the routine is the same. We've only bought one wings, but the routine's the same. Uh, Guy Mulcaster, who does all our bloodstock work. And for Chris Waller as well as myself. Um, he does a list for me and he coordinate talks to Peter and works with Peter and Richard left it up to us. So we got together before the sale and we come up with, OK, we want to race together. Um, Peter and I had been racing horses together and, and Richard um, said, oh, look, I want to do that. I'd only like to race with a few people, so can we get together? So we thought, yep, set a budget. It was only a low budget, which... We had to increase about three different times. (laughs) Um, And so we do our due diligence, look at the horses. I won't buy anything I don't like the look of. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I have to (laughs) like the horse. So it has to have a pretty head. It has to have not too many white socks. When I walk up to to the yearling, it has to look at me and it has to have a kind eye. Um, She's got a beautiful eye. Uh, So, But we had five on our list and... I'm uh, quite a superstitious person, so I don't go in thinking, I have to have this one horse. So we had five on the list and we started um, Peter. We crossed over. So I did my list and I had about 20. Peter had gotten his together and we crossed over on about five. That mm. would have been roughly the distances. You know, you just want a varied racing. And, um, and we wanted a filly. That was the criteria. It had to be a filly and, and varied racing. And so we crossed over and we missed out on the first cup, one, two, maybe three. Can't really remember because I tend to forget what I don't get. And um, she came into the ring and we'd revised our budget and we thought, if we don't get this one, you know, we've only got a couple more left. They could go even higher. One was a colt and that was going to go a lot higher. So um, we went hard and we got to two, I think we got 210, went to 200 and we went 210. Someone came back 2.20, but not quickly. And Peter's looking around, and I said, go for it. And he's looking around, umming and ahhing, and he looked at Chris and, and, and Guy, and they said, no, no, we liked her. Mm-hmm. So he did another bit, and we got her. So we celebrate that. Yeah. And um, who was to know? We would, would end up with the most amazing mare that I've ever seen race.
0: Jim, we, we talk a lot on this program, and, and and I know you talk a lot in the United States about how you make racing appeal to more people, to broaden the audience, to bring younger people into the sport. There's nothing like the power of a great racehorse to oh, do that. No, it's just not. quite extraordinary. Her impact is being felt all around the world.
2: Oh, well, I had a chance to watch the 60 Minutes piece, uh, I guess, from two seasons ago. Yeah. Just fabulous. The energy, the the, the enthusiasm for this mayor is amazing. We're hoping this is uh, Third Time's a Charm, too.
0: <laughs> And this is it, of course, because on on Wednesday, the world's best racehorse will be crowned. There's always debate. I wouldn't call it controversy, but there's always debate about what Winx has has achieved in in Australia relative to performances around the world. Do you think there's an acceptance now that this is her time to take this crown?
1: Um, Look, I think along the way, she's earned herself. And we've shown, I think Australian racing has shown to the world that we are a good racing jurisdiction and that we have good race horses. And, yes, there's always a lot of controversy about who, why should she be rated more? She hasn't ra- beaten horses rated highly. Um, but you can only beat what you race. And we do have tough competition there. Mm. And she has done some an amazing... Um, got through amazing mishaps in races and still got there now I think that's something that you can't put into a rating Mm -hmm. and that you have to have when you're doing the world's best horse you have to have a criteria and you have to have rules set in place so that is easy to do on a numbers but when you get the heart factor when you get the, she got knocked over. She misses start by four lengths. She got blocked out for a run. And, and then she storms past them. Just because she doesn't win by eight lengths, her rating doesn't go up. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that she has done amazing sectionals to win. Yeah. Amazing sectionals, they're hard to put into a rating. So to me, she's proven that she is the best horse in the world at this present moment.
0: And her rating will also be always affected by the fact that she's a mayor, so her, her allowance, her weight allowance, is, is, is going to affect her, her global rating.
1: Yes, but then you would have people argue that, well, she gets a lighter weight because the, she is a mayor. And the
0: mayor's allowance is too yes. much. Yes,
1: yes, but really, that's the rules you have, that's the rules we follow. Um, but she's the best.
0: <laughs> she's, she's been she's been wonderful for you. She's been wonderful for the whole sport, uh, Jim. In terms of, of globalizing the sport, and this is something that you're attempting to do in, in your in your role with the the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities, how important is a, a ceremony like Wednesday's, and how how important is she to it? Well, You
2: said it. It's critical uh, having having this um, this award, which began in 2013, with an international brand like Longines has been terrific. But if you go back and look at who's you know, the winners, who's actually been in the placings each year, we've been, uh, all corners of the world have been represented. Um, It's Australia's time, perhaps this year, Um, but black caviar at one point, we've had uh, horses from France, from England, from the United States, all placed very, very highly. So I think it speaks to the awards that it is truly an international event and something we look forward to every year.
0: Do you detect in the United States that the, the race fans there are taking more of an interest in, in international racing?
2: Oh, no question. Uh, you know yourself from some of the coverage that we now have in America. It comes from from England, and uh, we have live coverage from Dubai. We've had uh, the interest, the international interest in horse racing is only, only getting greater, and we're happy to see the Americans taking a big part in it.
0: And do you think that that's something that can be of great Financial benefit to the to the to the sports domestically is that something that can parlay into a, actual success for American racing in and of itself. Yes, I mean Breeders Cup in and of itself is an international
2: competition that we uh, we embrace every year. It's great for our fans and it's great for our owners to uh, to campaign their horses overseas.
0: And in terms of um, you know, regulation around the world, I know this is something that, that you're particularly hot on. It's a, a subject that you've been talking about for several years. Are you confident that there can be more harmony in terms of rules and regulations through the various racing jurisdictions than there has been hitherto? Sure. The IFHA has been around for decades, and, and its principal role is
2: to, to establish best practices for countries to meet. And I think we've made great progress. You know, in the United States, we've got some, some more work to do. But if you look at, on the whole, we've been using international regulations as the yardstick and improving them every year.
0: There's been so much debate here recently, and I'm sure you've been following it, Debbie. And I know you will have been, Jim, about the use of the whip. And it came up again at Breeders' Cup with with Christoph Sumiel. No. I, I'd ask you first, Debbie. What's the position in Australia as regards to to, to whip use?
1: There's a, we have stringent rules, um, and we have different whips now. So um, they've been tested, and they and they are not affecting the horse. It's more an urge than no. actual. In, inflicting pain Mm -hmm. which i think is important and that's made a big difference but you can only hit the horse so many times in the races and um look it was a hard they were hard rules to to get used to um but i think it's been for the good of racing and what we use now is really i think is is purposeful you're not over it's not to flog a horse to get it to win, mm. it's to encourage a horse. It's certain horses need to be reminded they're in a race, so it's 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 not used as a flogging stick, which it wasn't really used like that, but it was used more for that to get every ounce of of work out of the horse earlier. Um, and I, I think what we the the um, system that's in Australia now is a good system. Yes, at times it gets. Uh, they, the jockeys hit them too many times in certain yeah. places. But the the times that's happening is a lot less. And in big competition, it's really looked at. And and, and there's not been a lot of infringements lately. There were a few in the Melbourne Carnival, but not huge ones. And, um, look, I think it's important to, to look at those factors. I think we need a good, clean sport. And we need everybody on a level playing field. And it's so... I, I'm all for uh, having rules in place.
0: And here in, in Britain, the argument is to push one step further and to do without it because we're being looked upon by society as an outlier if we're, if, if we're still seeing jockeys holding whips. Do you think there'll be societal pressure in North America to to reduce whip use? I think
2: there is. I think there is now uh, evolving points of view on this. Uh, I've been in the sport for 30 years, and in that time... We've evolved in a lot of ways, and I think in this is one particular case that we're going to have to take a good hard look and decide what's the, the, the proper regulation for this. In the states, we have 38 different um, jurisdictions that have different rules. Uh, some have been more progressive in this area. Some have not not stepped up, uh, but I think we'll look internationally, and, and we'll see what works best, and we'll do our best to, to model it. But without question, this is a societal issue that we're, we're going to have to confront.
0: How hard is it for you to persuade people in New York to agree with people in Kentucky, to agree with people in California and everywhere else? How much of a challenge for you is that on a daily basis? Oh, it's a huge
2: challenge. It's probably an impossible challenge the way that we're structured right now. Uh, One of the things that my organization and with some others has been promoting is a federal solution Mm. uh, that would allow um, uh, all of these disparate uh, racing commissions to put their rules under one uh, one body. Uh, And we're working hard on that. And do you think the sport is is beginning to
0: be perceived in a better light?
2: Yeah, the numbers say so. Uh, we, we bottomed out after the financial crises of 2008 and 2009. Our national handle, which we use as our, our, our measuring stick, uh, we went from a $16 billion business to somewhere around $11 billion business. I'm happy to see we've rebounded. Uh, last year we showed some increases in all categories, uh, virtually all the important categories. And I think that, that's, that's noteworthy because last year, you, you mentioned earlier before we came on about the rain in California mm-hmm. these days. Well, we had rain all summer in the, in the east. Yes. Uh, a lot of, scratch, lot of scratches, a lot of reduced fields. So I think even though we showed uh, some growth in handle, it could have even been better.
0: And a lot of races off the turf as well. Yeah, certainly. Which would have had a significant impact. Debbie, it's generally received wisdom that racing is in pretty robust health in Australia that's what we feel we always hold australia up as the as the ideal racing jurisdiction is that the way you perceive it
1: uh, look racing's he- very healthy in in new south wales and victoria mm. um, we have a few mixed match matches with uh, the two jurisdictions um that that's just fun play with race meetings and things. Queensland are looking at themselves and and they're turning themselves around. It's a shame we've got um, South Australia have just had a real... They're in a a sort of um, bad phase at the moment. Um, But hopefully, as a united country, we can get them back to a point. But um, the government have stopped... Uh, funding, partly funding South Australian racing and have put a lot of stoppers on it. I'm not quite sure on all of the actual details, so I don't really want to speak to that. Um, And Western Australian racing is very healthy. Um, And the Northern Territory are racing quite well. So yes, I I believe our industry is going well. Yes, there are areas that need uh, correcting, but they're innovating. All of the states are innovating. They're coming up with uh, different races, different scenarios, trying to invigorate to get the younger generation because we were missing a demographic, an age demographic. And that's a shame because you can't foster an industry if you don't bring it up from younger all the way through. Um, and they're, they're working on that. And it, it is working. It is working.
0: American racing has very much the same aims and concerns. Yeah, same challenges. We, you know, we, uh, we did a, a study
2: uh, back in 2011 and we looked at our sport uh, as, a, as a whole and, and benchmarked it over the past few years. We had lost ground substantially against other sports. Uh, when I grew up, horse racing was the number one spectator sport in America. Now we're hardly even listed on ESPN's homepage. Yeah. Uh, television, uh, back seven, eight years ago, we only had a couple dozen hours of national television coverage for the entire sport. Now, thanks to things that the Breeders' Cup has done, New York Racing Association, Keeneland Association, Jockey Club, uh, and others, Breeders' Cup—I think I mentioned—well, we're facing uh, several hundred hours, uh, probably close to 500 hours of racing on national television this year.
0: But it's a—it's a large significant mountain to climb, oh, but it, you've started yes. to climb it. Yeah, we
2: think so. We think so. And, and going right to the millennials and, and the, the younger uh, demographics is, is what we're doing. And we use some of our best race meets uh, as an opportunity to showcase it. Uh, Saratoga, Monmouth Park, um, Delmar, Keeneland, they're, they're places that still can attract young people and they love it. And do you still love racing like you did when you were Absolutely. A child or a teenager? Absolutely, absolutely. If not more so. And what is it about it? It's the stories. It's it's the it's the uh, first of all it's the live um, the live event uh, to see a horse race up close uh, to be actually present. I think is a better experience than when you go to a football game or a baseball game where you're detached. Uh, horse racing is it evolves right in front of you, and I think that's really one of the true things, uh, true truisms about it. But it's the stories. Um, horse racing has so many great stories, and we now tell them in different ways, uh, whether through social media, through traditional media, uh, through the characters. It's, uh, it's, part of, it's America's first sport, so it's got some, some great history.
0: So do you think changing the way the sport is portrayed and presented is actually more important than fundamentally restructuring the sport itself?
2: Well, both are important. Both are important. Uh, one has to under, uh, underwrite the other, no question. Uh, but the opportunities that we have with new media and with television are, are all there for us.
0: What is, the, what is the one aspect of the sport that causes you most exasperation, most difficulty, most challenge in your, in your job or jobs? I, I, I think attracting
2: owners and retaining owners is, uh, is a real challenge. The economics of the sport are difficult. Um, this is a difficult sport to make money on. Um, so we, we, we have to set realistic expectations for those owners when they come into it uh, so that they you know they, they will grow and they won't depart quickly if, if they don't like it. But I think that's probably one of our biggest challenges.
0: And I know syndication has been very much talked about, more syndication in, in the US and here. Again, Australia leading the way in terms of syndication and there are just more bodies with horses, with an interest in horses, however small that might be.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and they feel... Everyone in a syndicate in Australia feels they own the horse. It's never, oh, I'm just a part of it. They actually feel part of it and they enjoy it all. You only have to watch the races like when Red Zell won mm-hmm. the um, Everest. Everest. You know, like there's a h- horde of people in there and they all get the fun out of it and their friends and their friends and their friends. It's really inclusive. Um, and we've got that. There's a lot of good syndicators in Australia that are doing really good. Um, they're working very hard at making it an enjoyable experience even when the horses aren't racing. Mm-hmm. So you're developing the people's interest outside just that one, three minutes of racing. You've got to encourage them to to actually learn what it's all about and enjoy the whole process. And I think that helps um, with retaining the owners. I know Star Thoroughbreds, which is a syndication company that's with Chris yes. Waller. And, and Denise is phenomenal at the, the detail she goes to working with her, her clients and the horses and making sure everybody feels an actual part of it and the communication. There's so much of that being done. So it, it is so important and so much fun. They all love it. They, they're, you know, they'll walk up and and everybody's shaking hands, everybody's excited. Even when they run second, they still enjoy that moment because they've learnt the hard part of getting there.
0: Now, Winx has raced <coughs> exclusively in Australia. We've craved her at Royal Ascot. <laughs> it probably won't happen. It's true. I'll come back to that in a moment, though. Jim, how much would it mean for you, for example? How much would it... Be a boost to American racing if horses <coughs> from the southern hemisphere would regularly come and, and, and compete in in north america is that is that something you're actively pursuing trying to get the likes of Debbie to race horses in well the I States? think my,
2: my colleagues at the Breeders Cup would love it uh, they, they they view it as the international the best international competition, and any chance we get to put these horses in the same races
0: uh, would be terrific and debbie. There's been so much talk here about whether you would bring her and you haven't brought her. I mean, can we conclusively say that she's <laughs> staying in Oz now for she the rest of time? She's staying in Oz now, yeah. yes. And is it ever something you're going to regret?
1: Oh, look, no, I don't do things to regret them. Mm. Um, they're always very considered decision. We didn't just likely say, no, she's not coming. We went through huge scenarios. It was... It, It really meant a lot to us to want to come here. Yeah. Um, And, yes, it would have been wonderful to showcase her here and have her beat you and show the world that, (laughs) yes, she is the top. Um, Or go to the uh, Pegasus Turf Race and win that and showcase so she can prove to all the doubters, because there's always going to be doubters. But we took the avenue of, to us, it's the horse you've got to consider first. And all you, the arguments. You nearly
0: said the avenue of least resistance and then just pulled yourself back at the last minute then. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> but you, you're putting her first. Before, just try and try and explain to those who might not appreciate it why four cox plates was such a big deal historically.
1: Oh, it's ne- it had never been done. The cox plate, the Moonee Valley, is an unusual track. Mm-hmm. Moonee Valley's uh, quite tight turning. It's got a short straight... Um, it's strathair surface, so there's a lot of different scenarios in that, and it's a, a prized race, always has been. And um, I've had, I've been part of horses mm. going into it, and you think, yes, we can do this, we can do this, and they just go out of sight. They're not, no way in the world are they ever going to get there. Um, so the day she was entered, I was lucky, fortunate enough to have two horses in it. I never thought I would get a horse to run in a Cox Plate. In the first year, we had Preferment and Winks. Where Peter and I were both parts of those, um, so we were on cloud nine just getting a horse to to this huge, this be the biggest race in Australia for racing. The Melbourne Cup is the most known race.
0: But in terms of a quality, quality race.
1: quality top racing.
0: And for you, steeped in the sport. Absolutely. Bred in the sport.
1: Absolutely. This is where you want that's to be. That's where you want to be. That's the race you want to win. And that's the race that's elusive. And she wins it. And wins it in... in the, the, you know, breaks the record that has stood for, for a, quite a long time mm. of might and powers. So that was wonderful. But then the thought of, like, Chris, yes, we'll go back and do a second one. And that was a very flippant thought at first. And it was like, oh, yeah, we that's what we'll work towards. You know, you've got to have a goal in racing. Um, but for, then she came out and she just kept going. So then to win another one, well, you know, you didn't think you'd win one. You win two. Then the third, the build-up just gets more and more every year. There are a few horses that had won two, two. Then there was one horse, Kingston Town, who'd won three consecutively. Mm-hmm. And we just thought, no, we'll just never get that. But Chris wanted to try, so we did it. We went to try. And, and she did. did. Mm-hmm. And she did. And then it was like, well, do we do a fourth? And Mooney Valley were very keen. They, they were very keen, the club, for us to come back, but we were as well. And that was another part of the scenario. We wouldn't have been able to do Royal Ascot or or a prep over here. Do a few races, which is what, if you're bringing a horse over, you ultimately would rather do a few races than just one. But no, to do you, either that we do that or we do the Cox Plate, um, and it was just a little bit of history and a, you know, something to aim for. And we didn't think we'd actually do it and. She came out and won a fourth and it was just amazing. There were 38,000 people there and I would say majority of them wanted her to win. They wanted competition. We wanted a fright. We didn't want her to just win hands down, but it just exploded. The place just, everyone, you could hear the chant was amazing for her being called home. And Ben Battle was fighting, and it was great to have him there so close for the time. Mm. But she won, and the place just went absolutely nuts.
0: What I love when I watch you reacting from the brilliant pictures that we get sent from Australia is that every time she wins and she's winning it, 16 to 1 on, 20 to 1 on, 10 to 1 on, 12 to 1 on, It's not a surprise to the rest of us. But there's almost a look of amazement still on your face when she wins, as though you're completely awestruck by the magnitude of what she's achieved.
1: Well, I am, because I, I, as you said, I've got a racing background. And and I've seen horses that should win be beaten. Racing beats good horses. It's, It's a luck game. It's not just the best horse that always wins. You've got to get luck. You've got to have things pan out for you at times, nothing go against you. So it's got to be exciting when it all comes off.
0: And when you listen to Debbie speaking so passionately and when you see what this this mayor has done... Gym, you just want to bottle that oh, and, so, and, so, and somehow be able to transmit that to as many people as possible because it is so infectious whether you happen to be in, in, in a racing um, environment or otherwise.
2: It, it certainly is. It's, uh, it's kind of like they say in, in the theatre. It's the willful suspension of disbelief. When those things happen, you just wish you could, you could hold them forever. And watching some of Winx's races and your reaction on, on television was just magic.
0: What's the nearest you think you've, you've come to seeing that in, in the States?
2: gosh um I, I I mean there's been some great breeders' cups, but uh, probably the one that Ali Sheba won back in 1988 would be as close as it comes for me.
0: Was that Ali Sheba inferred in was it or Ali I can't my memory's gone
2: uh, It was Ali Sheba probably best, about the best field ever uh, gathered in the classic um, uh, that was my memory
0: and did, did that did that captivate people beyond the sport?
2: Oh yes, I mean it was the horse was embraced um, nationally. On all the news was there, and yeah, it was a it was a big moment.
0: Big debate coming up not only this week is the 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 Longines World's Best Racehorse Ceremony, but also the the Eclipse Awards one day later on on Thursday evening at, at Gulfstream Park. Um, there has been some debate as to whether Accelerate should win over the Triple Crown winner Justify because he was retired to stud after he won the Belmont Stakes. What's your take on that? Yeah,
2: these different award programs have different uh, criteria, different um, different ways of looking at them. It's it's great controversy. We we, we, we welcome it. Uh, these are very accomplished horses. Uh, the Longines World's Best is a little bit different than the Eclipse Awards, um, the Golden Globes, the Academy Awards. Um, we, we welcome it.
0: That's a very, that's very neatly sidestepped, Jim. You're not, you're not going to be drawn on, on where your vote would. Well, go. I don't vote, so that's the best part. I get to just observe. I mean, could you ever have envisaged a situation where people would question the credentials of a triple crown winner? Uh,
2: no, I couldn't. Uh, but you know, we've had some fabulous performances this year, sustained performances all around the globe. So, you know, I couldn't. I mean, it took a long time for us to get an, a, a triple crown winner in American Pharaoh and then. Two years later, we've got Justify, a brilliant racehorse in his own right.
0: And do you think our, our sort of attention spans are so short, and we're we're so hard we're so hard to please in a sense? But because we got the Triple Crown winner once, then we got another one. Everyone's, like, oh, it's easy to win the Triple Crown now. <laughs> so what? Well, that's what we used to
2: say in the seventies, "This is easy. This happens all the time," and then it didn't happen for a long, long time.
0: And that's the beauty of horse racing, essentially, <laughs> Debbie, isn't it? That you you think you know what you're talking about, and then. It has a glorious way of subverting itself. (laughs) It's true.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's uh, never a done deal.
0: It's not a done deal yet for your mare, is it? No, it isn't. How realistically do you think this year is going to pan out if it goes the way you and Chris Waller want it to?
1: (laughs) What, for her racing career? In terms of
0: how many races, which races, or do you just go more of the same, please?
1: We do race at a time absolutely race at a time so there's a plan um and
0: she ran seven times last year by the standards of a modern grade one thoroughbred that's still a lot of lot of racing
1: not for an australian
0: indeed which is why (laughs) we love australians because they run a lot
1: there is um yeah look i my gut feeling is that we'll get four runs out of her this year and that'll be it but that's very wishful thinking and we are taking one race at a time. And she's had one trial and she went well. Hugh Bowman said she felt good. She had a little bit of a blow. She was a little bit, he had to you know, encourage her to run through the line. Um, and then she'll have another trial and a gallop. And if everything going to plan, she'll race on the 16th of February. And that's the only aim we've got at the moment.
0: If, you, if and when you want to cover her and send her to start, <laughs> When do you have to do that? I mean, obviously, you have to do that on Southern Hemisphere time, I would assume, unless you're going to base her here. I'm assuming you're going to base it in Australia. So when would that covering season start?
1: Well, look, we haven't, as owners, we really haven't discussed all of that. Yeah. So that that's a, a discussion that's got to be had. And that's something that you would start discussing in, in around March or April in Australia. Um, yes, she would be served for Southern Hemisphere because... I'm part of the ownership, Peter and, and Richard. At the moment, we're all still staying in the horse, and we're r- horse we're Australian racing people. Mm-hmm. So we want her, if we have a progeny of hers, we would more likely want them to race in Australia. So, of course, we're going to do mm-hmm. Southern Hemisphere timeframe. Um, but, look, that's a really tough question.
0: And what I'm saying is, does it preclude her attempting an yet another Cox Plate?
1: Oh, look, I think that's that, that's... More than likely, the oh, scenario, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, she'd be an eight-year-old. Uh, you want to you want to make sure she's good and fine to finish racing. You don't want to go one one race too many, um, and so the feeling we have at the moment is she'll finish at the end of this prep or earlier than that, depending on how she goes.
0: I know you're going to stay with us. Uh, for the remainder of the program, Jim, thank you very much. Thank you, Nick, uh, for coming in. Uh, what does the rest of the week hold for you? Obviously, the Longines Awards on, on a, Wednesday, and then back to Gulfstream at the end of the week. Well,
2: I'm not going to make Gulfstream. Uh, I have some colleagues that are co- going to cover for me on Thursday. It's a little quick back, but uh, that's we're looking forward to the Longines Award. I see you have your watch on. <laughs>
0: I'm going to get ta- I'll get taken off the air for that. Uh but thank you very much. Yes, I've had there are many other fine um makers of timepieces uh, out there There's always one to us. Um <laughs> I really lost my words on here. i tell you you got me. Um and the Pegasus, of course, the big race this weekend. This weekend, yes, uh, in in the in a US, which park. is a, it's a it was a fascinating concept and one that didn't exactly meet with sort of universal. Oh, isn't this great when it started? But with Arrogate and Gunrunner straight off the bat and potentially accelerate, you need just go to show you need great horses to make great and they've races. They've done a great job say. of making that a mm. super event. Uh, hats off to the Stronic Group. And it is uh, the beauty of it is pretty. It's unusual, isn't it? It's, it's, it's an unusual experience. It's great
2: timing. Uh, there's not a lot going on in the American sporting scene. It's, it's between the uh, the NFC, AFC championships, and the Super Bowl. So it's it's neatly placed. Uh, we're looking forward to it.
0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai.